doesn't get any more authentic than this. Welcome to the VoiceOver Gurus Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the VoiceOver Gurus Podcast. I'm your hostess with the mostess, Linda Bruno. If this is your first time finding us, welcome. If you've been listening for a while, welcome back. We always appreciate uh, our loyal listeners and any reviews. I've been seeing some reviews posting up, which has been great. Um, We always appreciate that, too, to get that feedback. So uh, this is really cool today because um, I, I love when I find out about a different avenue of voiceover, something that's not the norm that the majority of us, you know, the majority of us are doing all the boring stuff, you know, but the stuff that makes makes money. I'm not going to complain about that. And um, I was lucky enough to get in touch through Dave um, with a gentleman that is going joining me today, Rob Ryder. How are you? I am just fine, Linda. It is good to be with you. And and when I got to visit with Dave after we worked together in 2020, it was the uh-huh. first time we worked together. We re-met. We met in person really for the first time just a couple of weeks ago. I got to see his studio complex at Digital Waterworks. And we walk in and I see the voiceover gurus. <laughs> Are you kidding me? And then I find out that he and you have worked together for many, many years. And so I'm thrilled to be able to be on your program. That's really cool. Well, I appreciate that so much. So Dave every year works um, in conjunction with Beth Page because they have an air show that is produced. We have a a beautiful Long Island is gorgeous. We have beaches. We have vineyards. We have shopping. um, And we have a place called Jones Beach that can house a lot of people. And every year, Memorial Day weekend, they host an air show. And you are the air show announcer. Yeah. And it is so cool. <laughs> it, it, it is really fun. I have been involved with the show except the, every year except the first year. And one of the performers after the first year said, you need to get a real announcer. And so I was recommended by Sean D. Tucker, And they came to me, and so I've been working with the Parks Department and Beth Page ever since on the show. This is my my 18th of 19 years that they've had the show, and next year will be the 20th year, and I will be there again. Wow. So now, for those of us that have no idea, what do you do as an air show announcer? Well, I have the responsibility of telling the crowd what's happening next and what's happening now and holding the show together. Uh, That's, when I was, I I grew up in in a musical family. My grandmother was a musician, uh, went to the Conservatory of Music in Cincinnati. My mother was a singer. Uh, She was in 1939, voted society's number one songstress in New York City. Wow. We have pictures of her on a date with Robert Stack. She dated John (laughs) F. Kennedy. She dated several times Franklin Delano, Delano Roosevelt's son, my and goodness. So she was she was quite good. She got into television and the musical thing for me continued. Um, and I did high school. I did musicals, did My Fair Lady and Music Man had leading roles. When I went to the University of Cincinnati, I did musical theater, although I was a broadcasting major. Mm, OK, I played the part of Riff in their first production of West Side Story and understudied oh. Tony <laughs> and wound up on TV in Cincinnati. Wow. On a four market talk variety show, Cincinnati, Dayton, Columbus, Indianapolis. 
And it was a noon to 1.30 live, no net, live commercial show. Wow. And I say all this because it builds a kind of foundation for what I ended up doing. Right. The show, I, I, I was a singer on the show. I sang everything from John Denver to show tunes to Earth, Wind, and Fire. Fascinating. Eight-piece band on the show. It was cool. Live studio audience. But my dad, after the war, went to get his pilot's license. He soloed but couldn't get it because he was colorblind. But there's oh. the aviation thing that we built models and we went to the Air Force Museum when we moved to Ohio. and also So this has been a part of your life forever. Oh, so aviation and music and, if you will, showbiz mm -hmm. came together as I started volunteering at the Dayton Air Show back in the late 70s. Uh, it eventually grew enough that in 2006, I stepped away from another job, sold another business and um, a sound system business and went to work full time at air shows. So I I leave on a Wednesday or Thursday, get to the show. Mm -hmm. There's a Friday rehearsal show, Saturday and Sunday full up productions. Then I go home on Monday and I do that about half the year. And I've been making um, a, a full full-time income doing that. So how many shows do you do a year? I have averaged over the past 18 years, about 22 shows a year. I'm cutting back. I'm cutting way 22. back. 22. Uh, and so you travel to where? What I are have some traveled of as far away as Japan, but New York is uh, one of the biggest shows that I do at Jones Beach. That It is the premier air show in New York, you know, as you know. Yeah. yeah. It, it, I mean, it's I think this past weekend or weekend before Memorial Day weekend this year, they had three, no, it was over 400,000 people for the three days. They count cards, That's so it's not a lie. Yeah. Uh, and then I do, in like in San Diego, I do the biggest military show in the country, Marine Corps Air Station Miramar, and everything in between. So I'll travel. I go to a, I go to a convention, and I have a booth, and I say, pick me. <laughs> so now at the show, technically... You're in a tower. I'm up on a I'm up on a stage, an elevated stage, so I have a good view of the entire you know, the entire um, aerobatic box, that area in which the airplanes fly. And I stand next to the guy who's the air traffic controller, the air boss, and we're looking at the schedule that he writes up. And I look at him and said, "How much time we got for commercials?" And so then he does that, and and I do my commercials for WABC and uh, and uh, Bethpage Federal Credit Union and Newsday. And, you know, so I do the right. whole gamut of commercials. So I'm I'm a live read guy. And uh, and I get to <laughs> share my love of aviation with thousands and thousands, well, millions of people a year. Yeah. So now you're up in this tower and you're obviously you're saying you're doing this all live, which is a pressure filled situation to begin with. OK, yeah. um, that's old school stuff that we've we've experienced, but a lot of people don't anymore. Um, mm -hmm. And so you're going out over like a massive PA system. Yes. OK, so they can hear okay. me up and down the beach about a half mile either way. OK, and, and it's on Dave and it's on WHLI radio up there. Oh, OK. OK. Yeah. So live broadcast from there. Yep. You know, to from your place into yeah WHLI. Okay, so wow. Now, obviously, now you've talked about the fact that you have a background in aviation with your family, your father, and what you're announcing exactly what I'm announcing. Say an air some some airplanes from the American Air Power Museum which is at Farmingdale Airport, if they're flying mm -hmm. over, those are World War II airplanes. And as they fly over, I'm talking about the planes. Really? Yeah. 
And so, so you really have to have all that knowledge. Yeah, but I'll go back to my time, the 13 years I did live TV, Linda, that what I learned there in terms of keeping a show going was as important as the knowledge that I learned later on and, and began to learn over the years about aviation. That stuff you can learn. Mm -hmm. The idea of keeping the flow going is something totally different. And that's I think that's what has helped make me uh, a career, helped help me to make a career out of air show announcing. It's been wow. Good. And I do wow. other e-learning stuff, too. I was doing e-learning for a company called Sporty's Pilot Shops before they even called it e-learning. <laughs> really? So I've, I've helped teach thousands of people to learn to fly. It's wow. the most widely used pilot training video series on the planet. So I've been doing that too. So it's just yeah. I've had so now you mentioned you mentioned before we even connected uh, and went live here that um, live. <laughs> it's a podcast. <laughs> Nothing is live. I know it's hilarious because my brain goes to oh we're live. We're we, on the air. We we're are not live. on the air. You and I are we live. are live. That's about at the end of it. <laughs> um, but I don't do any post production editing on these, so I like all the mistakes to to stay contained. Um, you started in voiceover. You said you were doing voiceovers in the 70s. Yeah, and those were from uh, our the company that I worked for was producing a series of young people's specials. And I was asked to write some music for those um, and and narrate them. And even back then, and I didn't get it at the time, I was coached to lay back and not announce and just converse. Wow. That's how forward-thinking Tom Robertson, the producer, was. He said, no, don't announce it. Just tell me the story. Yeah, great. So learning to unannounce for me as I as I decided, as I've been transitioning now from air shows to, to, to do more voice work, to learn the biggest challenge for me has been to learn not to announce. Mm hmm. That's usually the one that, you know, you know, tricks a lot of people, especially folks that were in broadcasting for a long time. Yeah. You know, you yeah. get in that mode. But back then you were even being directed to stay conversational and have that one on one connection. Yes. Um, so that hasn't, you know, changed. So would you say you're basically announcing the air shows? Do you feel that you're in announcer mode? Uh, pretty much. But there are stories that I get to tell. And when I start to tell the stories, it's not now, ladies and gentlemen, look at the C-47 as it comes by. And I don't put on that voice, but I say the C-47 was the military version of the Douglas DC-3, the airplane that changed the way America traveled. And so hmm. it's it's more, and then I get to tell the stories. And you're passionate about it. Yeah, yeah. So that comes through naturally in the read as well. Yeah. Or in your, in the, now in, how much is scripted? Very little. For you? Really? Very little. I've yeah. had some of this stuff I've been doing so long, you know, repetition is the mother of skill. Yeah. You know, there, there are things that, that as a plane goes by certain things you'll see on it at, at a moment that you'll be able to talk about. Uh, and that's, it, it has worked out really well for me that I've, again, that I had that television experience, which was not scripted. It was a live show. And I mean, Bob Hope was a friend of the show. Dick Clark was a friend of the show. Leo wow. Ball was on the show. We had lots of major guests. Uh, mm -hmm. on the show because it was such a it had such a big regional uh regional reach those four markets that we were on made it the third biggest market in the country for for some years mm -hmm. uh so anyway um but i it's it's just been a joy to be able to do that 
But as I have gotten older and looked for where I wanted to go in the future, mm -hmm. I thought, I've got this studio that I've been using with Sporty's Pilot Shops for years. I've done other stuff in there. I've helped musical groups, worked with the Kingston Trio, uh, <laughs> helped them helped them get a Lifetime Achievement Grammy, produced a, a project for wow. them. And, but, but I said, I want to make that studio pay for itself. And so mm -hmm. I started looking for voiceover. And long story short, the market decided that my niche was either e-learning to some degree, and I have a couple of e-learning clients, Sporties continues to this day, <laughs> and audiobooks. And I'm telling the stories. Right. Yeah, I can hear that in your vocal delivery. Oh, my goodness. Now, you said that right. you're sitting in your... <laughs> You said you're sitting in your control room yes. and that your studio is on the other side. Yes. So those of you that get to go onto the YouTube channel, you get to see what he has behind him. So give me the difference of control room and and I see you have planes. You have some. Yeah, some, a lot uh, of aircraft stuff there that I have gotten over uh -huh. the years over here. Uh -huh. And I'll it's it, well. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> You're pointing at that, it. <laughs> that was an award that I was given by the International Council of Air Shows, the International Council of Air Shows Sword of Excellence. And that's the highest award an air show professional can receive. And I, I received that in 2007. But this is, it's my, it's my, my place where the control room is where the computer is, the interface is. Um, I have a U87 in the other room that I use. Um, and this is where I edit. I like to okay. get out of the chair to edit. So is the other side just a recording booth? It's it's a 13 by 17 foot room and it's okay. baffled up. I enlisted the help of of Jim Edgar and Dan Leonard and George Whittem. Uh, oh good. All of which all of whom I should say yeah. lent their ears to this and I now have a setup that I have not changed in over 2 years. Fantastic. Even the baffling stays. If I have to move it out for a podcast episode, if I'm doing a twofer, I, I everything goes back within inches of where it was. Yeah. So keep it consistent. It's, it's like it's like you're sitting there. You got your four sixteen. It's always in the same position, right? Yep, it is. Yeah. I stand. I have a movable desk, well, so I go. sit for the podcast, but I stand for all yeah. of the announcing. Here's a question for you. Mm -hmm. So are there other people that do what you do? I mean, how many air shows are happening in the country? There are the several world? hundred air shows. There are some other guys who do it. Uh, there are about um, only four or five of us who really make a living at it. And Gosh, the others okay. do other things uh, in addition to uh, announce air shows. But this has been my primary source of income since 06. So is it a specific type of air show that you... Any no, not really, but but I tend to get some of the bigger ones, and so those bigger shows include either the Thunderbirds or the Blue Angels, okay, for the jet teams, and so I've gotten to be friends with those, and the Blues made me an honorary back in two thousand ten. So <laughs> I have I have lived a charmed life. So <laughs> can I am going to be rude and ask you your age? Seventy four. I'll be seventy five in a week and a half. See, and so I have students that come to me, older students, and they say, I'm too old to do voiceover. And I say, there is no age limit on voiceover. You're yeah. so right. <laughs> well, think of this, that ageism. Now, if if I would never be able to do a millennial, I'm not even going to try to make my voice. Sure. <laughs> but, but I can get late 30s up. 
If I mm-hmm. want to sound old, I can. <laughs> but yeah, you but, do not sound seventy-four good. heading into seventy-five. Good. <laughs> but but ageism and sexism and racism don't have to exist in this business. That's one of the joys of yeah. this thing. It's Nobody's a beautiful thing. looking at you or listening to say, what about where? Yeah, it's, it would be like regionalizing somebody. Oh, he's from the South. He's no good. Mm-hmm. Not so. Hey, if you're looking for a Southern accent, there you go. You know, there, there's a, pro, a, a purpose for that. I had a student come in yesterday and she was downplaying her Jamaican accent. And I said, please do not downplay it. If you can remove it at times, great. But if not, that's what makes you you and unique. <laughs> Absolutely. You don't want to you know? mess with that. I, the the people, Vio Atlanta. Oh, I'm, I'm blanking on Matt's last name. He's a British guy, but he makes mm-hmm. 75% of his business here in the United States with a British accent. Really? Yeah. 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 I guess it's what you do with it. Sure. You know? So it's, it's, totally it's an exciting... Uh, it's an exciting opportunity to to be an announcer on one world, but also do voice work on another and tell stories in a different manner, be it fiction or nonfiction. I've learned so much. But that's great because a lot of voice talent, if they are, I have a friend who's a stadium announcer for like he was for the Mets, for the Jets, you know, sports. Wow. But he cannot do straight up conversational commercial he just he's not can't do it you know i tried to coach him into it and for him he is so stuck in that mode no now batting you know that whole thing (laughs) yeah and it's you know and it's a talent you know and i have gone to hockey games with him where he will literally do the play-by-play for me sitting next to me and that is a gift you know people that can do that it's a whole other realm of voiceover um which i find fascinating but you know, it's great that you are malleable and versatile and have been able to transition so that way you can do all different types of genres. I'm glad that I'm not pigeonholed. I'm glad that I've had good coaching from folks. My audiobook coach is Hillary Huber, who's L.A., and but in the summertime, she's on Long Island. Yes, she works <laughs> in a booth on Long Island. She brings her mic and computer out, so she works every day. Do you know where she's on Long Island? Uh, I can't tell. So I can stalk her? It's <laughs> <I'm kidding. laughs> she's she's farther east. She's farther up east, and I can't remember exactly where. I've seen actually. She talked me through a Googler. Through there's there's the house there. Oh really? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe she's out in the Hamptons or something. The out oh, out. No. Who knows? <laughs> but but she's she's been very she's been very successful and very direct with me uh, in terms of. Uh, you know, you tend to, as a newbie, if there's a fast action scene, you want to read it faster. And she says, please, do Steve Austin's $6 million man. Hmm. Slow it down. Let Mm -hmm. it reach the ears, you know. And at an air show, my dynamic range is pretty significant. Well, you can't do that with an audio book. You can't be shouting at people. Right. Somebody said to me, Pretend you're sitting on somebody's shoulder and talking into their ear when you're doing a book. That's well, pretty intimate. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's a... Nonfiction, that, maybe not so much, but whatever. Do you do mostly fiction? I'm such a newbie. I've only got 13 titles to my name at this point. That's a lot of books. I'm making good money at it. Hey. Um, but um, I, 
I think, well, Hillary says nonfiction and mystery thrillers are, are my are my Are names. your things. Yeah. Now, are you doing them finding the work yourself or do you have an agent that handles that for you? Finding the work myself. Good uh, for you. I've had, uh, there's one, I put a thing up on LinkedIn when I finished a novel for a high school buddy of mine. And an Air Force Lieutenant Colonel, retired Lieutenant Colonel, reached out to me on LinkedIn and said, I have written six books. Somebody narrated the first one, and I know don't like it. Would you be willing to audition? Uh-huh. And so now I'm waiting on the third book from him for approval. Fantastic. And, and last of the pickups. And I, and I got a good rate. Yeah, and that's, that's great. the. It's... Uh, <laughs> I think it's a numbers game. I think you know that. I've heard you talk about it, how it's a numbers game. Yeah. That agents it is. agents that model is, is has shifted a lot, hasn't it? It really has. It really has. The agent is yeah. not the gatekeeper quite so much anymore, right? No, I mean the only thing that they would they're savvy at would be negotiating something for you, um, or they do bring in the bigger ended jobs, you know, financial. Um, so you know, it's that it is a goal to get an agent for a lot of new folks, which I tell them don't pressure yourself on it too much because right now in this non-union majority world, there's so many opportunities to audition for things that you don't go through an agent, um, and. Then you have to, though, become a very good business person because you have to be able to handle all of the, you know, the great negotiation. How long is it going to run for? Am I going to get paid again? Am I going to get paid at all? <laughs> you know, yeah. it's 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 there's two, you know, there's a lot that goes into it. So I know people are like, I need an agent, agent, agent. Well, an agent isn't going to listen to you either unless you have something to offer them. Um, and also if you've proven that you can book jobs. You know, and you've proven that you can, because what do they want? They want to make a commission off you. They want to make money. So, you know, agreed. It's like uh, finding it yourself and hustling. That's really how it is with voiceover now. It it really is as as much as we want to stroke our egos. There are a couple things working against us. This whole business is <laughs> is anonymous, right? Yeah, I've, I've had one project where I got a credit. Really, one, and it was for the. <laughs> Tourism Board of Zagreb, Croatia. Oh my goodness! Happened in the in the in 2020, and they put my name at the end of it. I thought, oh and it, wow! And it won some tourism films, uh, uh, tourism film uh, awards. But but it's it's anonymous, so our egos don't get stroked. Number two, we have to sell ourselves, which means we're testing our fragile egos mm -hmm. because selling you call it selling, call it marketing. You got to just I've, I've put out hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, like close to a thousand emails <laughs> and cold calls to production companies. I got two clients. <laughs> I know. It's so discouraging. But if you, if you go in understanding that. Right. You, you, it, uh, my, my general rule of thumb is I just try to get as many people as possible's ears on my voice. So I will just like a machine, send it out, send it out, send it out, send it out, you know, and then lo and behold, it may take a year, it may take two years, someone will contact me and say, oh, I got your newsletter. And I see it that they reply to the newsletter from two years ago Ah. and say, hey, I might have a project for you. But let me tell you, getting responses and getting someone to actively say, 
I listen to your demo. We might have something for you. That's like a 1% thing for me. Uh, yeah. yeah. You know? I, one of those clients that I got, it, it took a year to germinate and he's in Dayton, Ohio, an hour from where I live. Wow. So yeah. it, it is, um, and learning that it's a numbers game. And I think maybe from, Bill DeWeese is a friend of mine. Okay. become a very good friend. Um, and one of the things that he talked about was that uh, the market, they said, try everything and let the mm -hmm. market decide what your niche is going to be. And that's what happened with me. Yeah, agreed. Mm -hmm. So, well, that's the other thing. Some people come in and say, what am I going to be good at? And I go, whatever you get paid for, that's <laughs> what you're good at. <laughs> yeah. Well, Dan Leonard once said about all the awards, what's the best award in the in the business? He said, getting paid from the same client a second time. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Repeat clients are the goal, the gift, when you can keep them as long as you, know, you can, because that's what builds your career. That's what makes the you know, I have another student asked me the other day, am I ready to jump off and quit my job? And I was like, how many recurring clients do you have? Do you have six months worth of savings? Do you have enough to carry you for the dead months? You know, because it, it's inevitable. It happens. Yeah, it sure does. But I guess you have, you know, you have consistency with these shows, which is great. Yeah. Because it's like, so you're and you're only traveling half the year which is great because you can still work on other things like your books and, and the e-learning projects. Mm -hmm. But that's fantastic because you're still doing something voiceover related and you're, you're in, you're in baby. You got, you got, you're in. It has, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's been good because I've been able to go into the voiceover business of I mean, the classic voiceover business, commercials, e-learning, corporate, whatever, with a, dealing from a position of strength and that I already have a voice business going. So I, mm -hmm. I, I, some people say I'm a voice talent. I like to almost like to call myself a voice guy, just a voice guy, because I do different kinds of voice stuff. But you're a talent. Well, thank you. <laughs> so are you. I, <laughs> oh, yeah, you know, I, I try. I saw, I, I've seen your client list. I've been very fortunate. Um, I mean, not without a lot of hard work. And, you know, because I came to New York in 97, so I've been here a long time. But, um, you know, my opportunities came usually through agents, the bigger ones did, but then the rest was all hustling. You know, it was hustling, finding clients, um, and then keeping them happy. I mean, I have, I worked for a client on Friday that I have had since 1997. Wow. Yeah. So I'm assuming, would I be correct in assuming, Linda, that when that happens and they call you, you will lay other things aside to handle that client? as expeditiously as possible, right? This client happens to be one of my most favorite clients as well because they are respectful, they are generous, they understand that I'm running a business, they're running a business, and they called, and I was in the middle of a lesson with a student, and I said, I'm sorry, I have to take this, and I never interrupt my lessons. And he's like, yeah, no problem, because he was going to read copies. So I picked up and, and talked to the gentleman. And I said, I'm sorry, this is one of my longest running clients. If he's calling and it's a Friday afternoon, he needs something ASAP. Before the end of business day. <laughs> right. So I'm like, <laughs> I have to do this and I will be right back with you, which you know only took five minutes. But yeah, it's customer service and just keeping those relationships open. And just first, you obviously have to be good at what you do. But secondly, you just have to keep it going i mean just 
deliver. But have I not heard you say, Linda, it's not necessarily the most talented person who gets the work. It's the person who is uh, prompt, responsive, responsible, and dependable. Yep. Yep. There are probably more adjectives, but I've heard you say that. Yeah, no, it's so true. I mean, there's you can have all the talent in the world, but if you don't have the business acumen, it doesn't matter. Or if you're a pain in the butt. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you'll you'll work your way out of jobs with that. Some people get a little bit of an ego, and so that never goes to I, very far. I'm aware of, of a former air show announcer who did that, who was really? a major market radio guy and had the best chops in the world, but he talked his way out of some air shows because he just did ran it. at the mouth and was not responsive to the sponsors of the show oh geez well there's your your <laughs> your, your your issue you gotta remember the sponsors you gotta who's who's paying the bills right exactly mm-hmm. <laughs> so so now you mentioned that you have you mentioned something about emmys before we connected how you have how many how many emmys do you I've, have i've got five four for music that i wrote and performed for these young people specials which also won peabody awards uh, and one for my on-air performance when I was doing TV. There's still stuff on YouTube from when I was a much younger guy with much longer wow. hair and much darker hair. <laughs> and about so all these 15 years, pounds lighter. <laughs> all these years being in the business, what 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 are some takeaways for you to give to people that are just starting out? Be thankful you got a job. Mm. Number two, uh set your ego aside because if your ego gets in the way then you're then you're the people who hire you are not going to hire you mm. um stay hydrated <laughs> yes as i'm drinking water <laughs> you're, you're right here yes indeed <laughs> i always say about the ego i really don't think that this business you can afford to have an ego because it's it's humbling constantly Oh my you know? gosh! And it got more so in 2020. Mm, oh, I, yeah. I I joined up with Voices.com in 2018 or early 2019, mm-hmm. uh, and Voice One Two Three and a couple other places. And I have since stopped all of those things. Uh, I, I, I my paid subscription to VDC and V One Two Three. I stopped those. I even fooled around with Fiverr for a while and set that aside because I just was not ready. Because I was busy making real money, I was not ready to deal with the clients <laughs> who wanted the moon and didn't want to pay you worth a crap. Oh, yeah. And you're worth more than that. Yeah. So now, not to say I know people who are doing exceptionally well on Fiverr and mm-hmm. more power to them. They figured out the algorithm. But I think right. even those people still deal with the bottom feeders who are pains in the butt. They always seem to be. Yeah, the ones that don't pay very much are always the biggest pains. That is that is really true. And I would have, I used to work for Walmart years ago, um, and our sessions would last 15 minutes because they would be like, love it, great, just give me two more reads. And I would finish the session and be like, I love these people because <laughs> they're so easy to work with. Yes! And they were, it was union money. I mean, it was going through the agent, the whole thing, but... I, I've always found, yeah, I worked for Disney for 14 years. Wonderful people. They were not pains about stuff. They were professional. Yeah. And, you know, it's just. <laughs> I, I work 
remote sessions uh, 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 with with a particular client for a major U.S. airline for training stuff. Mm -hmm. And the last big one I had for them, we allotted two hours for the session. We were done in 40 minutes. <laughs> that's because you're good. Well, that's because, but they but they knew what they wanted. And so I gave yeah. them a test read. I said, is that friendly enough or is it authoritative enough? And they said, yes, no, yes, no, whatever. And I delivered and they were done and they paid and it's good. And they keep coming. And this last, I just did one for them last Friday or no, on Monday. Mm -hmm. um, and it was a very short one for a different company, but they didn't, they said, just do it solo. What kind of, that's, that does my heart good. Yeah, seriously. They trust you. Yeah. Well, it took, because uh, I worked for Disney in Asia, in Southeast wow. Asia. That's that's where the, so we used to connect via ISDN live. And with the 12 hour time change, I would be at the studio at nine o'clock at night for their 9 a.m. session. Please don't tell me after you worked all day. Yes, yes. So that period, and I didn't care. I'm like, my dream was always to be a voice for Disney. I didn't care. I would do whatever it took. But it took them seven years to trust me to the point where they started to let me do the sessions on my seven own. Seven years? Yeah. Also, they didn't want us to keep paying for ISDN. It was at that point when ISDN was starting to die out. Um, so I got, I was like, oh my gosh, seven years. They're like, you know, you can you can finally do the projects by yourself. But, um, well, you know. You know, with Sporty's Pilot Shops, I, I did it for a number of years where the guy, the producer would come over and sit with me. We were slicing tape back then. <laughs> I remember those days. Over my shoulder, right there. One of my two left reel-to-reel yeah. -reel machines, neither of which works properly. So Is that a Tascam? <laughs> yes, <laughs> it is. It? Yeah, It is a Tascam. <laughs> Dude. We have a few here gathering dust because Dave never gets rid of old equipment. Uh Okay. But I remember them from the radio station. He does have a museum there, doesn't he? Oh, God, I know. And it makes us crazy because you see how nice this place is. And then there's, <laughs> why are you keeping this dat machine from, you know, God knows when? Because you oh. never know when you might need it. I'm like, I don't know. That's Dave for you, though. Yeah, well, but Dave knows what he's doing, too. I guess he does. <laughs> yeah, you think? Yeah, think. I've only been working with him for twenty plus years, but I think so. Here's a question for you, and I'll go ahead. No, yeah, I think he referred question. to you as his work wife. Yes, because I probably see him more than he sees <laughs> his actual wife, Vanessa. <laughs> oh, that's um, funny. So, do you have an air show demo? Is that even something needed? It's probably not because of your relationships. Ooh, let's find out. That important question will be answered in next week's podcast episode being released next Monday with Rob Ryder. Join us then. Thanks for listening to the VoiceOver Gurus podcast. Real talk about the voiceover industry. Learn more about us and get coaching at voiceover.guru.